You are tuned into Your Voice, Your Power with Anika. Real lives, real stories, and real hope through transformational leadership. You have entered the safe zone. The safe space for creatives, executives, business owners, dreamers, and leaders of the new school. Sharing tips, tools, and resources to thrive with authenticity as authorities on a global scale. Transformation is power, and so is your truth. Stay tuned for The Real Deal with Anika and her guests. Good day, good day, and welcome to Your Voice, Your Power. I am Anika Wilson, and I have with me a guest that is just, she She's so soulful on so many levels, and you guys are just going to get so much out of this conversation. I want to welcome to the show the amazing Amy Smith. Hey, Amy. Hey, hey. now I have so much to live up to. Oh, I'm excited to hang out. I'm excited to have you here. So can you tell the world who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Amy Smith, and I am a life coach and a hypnotherapist. And what that really means is that my work is kind of broken into two major components. The one side of it is the internal element of helping women genuinely believe that they are worthy, that they are deserving of the things that they want, that they have value, that they matter. Everybody has sort of a different semantics of what they label, uh, but it's essentially enoughness, believing that you are enough. So it's this internal element. And then this external component of, okay, now if I have this bolstered sense of self-esteem and self-worth, how do I now communicate that with the outside world? So what does that look like as far as boundary setting, tough conversations, saying no without this overwhelming blanket of guilt and what are the actual words, right? So we're not told how to go about saying, uh, telling your family you don't believe in the religion you were raised in or asking for a divorce or asking for adult children to move out of the house. There's a, a bevy of different challenging conversations where we just quite literally don't have the words. So that's sort of the, the breakdown of the two major pieces that I work with in my, my little corner of the world. So I always ask everybody, can you break down your education and experience? Because in coaching, what's most important mm-hmm. is the methodology, like where it came from, how you created your program and what it stands for. So can you break down your background? Yeah, sure. I'm so glad that you asked that because I find that it's a little bit of the wild west in personal development where people are like, oh, I give good advice. I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm a coach. And in, and that actually can be quite negligent. So I've been doing this. I think I went to coaching school in probably 05 and end up, ended up getting a certification in 09. That also was an additional accreditation through the uh, International Coach Federation, which is currently the only only governing body that really oversees the coaching profession. And I do have a bachelor's in business management, but that doesn't really matter compared to the work that I do now. Well, I guess it helps me manage my business, but, um, and then I'm also certified and credentialed in hypnotherapy from the hypnosis motivation Institute out of, uh, 
I think they're in Burbank, Southern California. Um, and I did a, a bevy of other certifications with them as well for handwriting analysis and emotional freedom technique and NLP and childhood stuff. So yeah, all a bunch of fancy stuff. <laughs> See, I love to ask that question though, because we dismiss our credentials a lot of times and, you know, working with clients, that's the hardest exercise they seem to have is identifying their skills and abilities. And right. as women, we have been muffled, you know, we are told to dummy down and we do, we dummy down in relationships. We dummy down at work. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and employees, you were given this title and you were told, don't think outside this box, just provide these services and nothing more, nothing less. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listening to you, you said something about emotional something, but I listened to it. And, you know, when I look at somebody that I want as a mentor, you know, as a, a coach is a mentorship, it's a leadership, it's a responsibility. I look for somebody that has a multitude of things because you have some people who want somebody who's had one job for 30 years, sat there and that's all they did. They see that as commitment and loyalty. And for me, I see that as lack. I see yeah. that as, you know what I mean? Like I'm open-minded. I job hop because I wanted to know what I loved. I wanted to learn different things and different modalities of how to be able to live my life and serve others. So right. I commend your background and you say business management, but recently I was like, do I need to go get my MBA? My husband has one. And he was like, you already know all of that stuff. But I'm like, you know, sometimes those principles we right. minimize the magnitude because it gives us clarity and saves us so much time. So I yes. always give people credit where credit is due because when we're going to pay for services, when we are going to look for somebody to, to teach us, to really put the pieces together for us, all of that really does matter. And right. I really want you to kind of break down the two, you said emotional something, and then you said NLP. And I've only had a few people really break those things down, but can you really educate the audience on what exactly that means? Sure. So emotional freedom technique is commonly called tapping or uh, is also just the acronym of EFT. And it's based off of the understanding that there, well, it's rooted in Chinese medicine with uh, the various mer energy meridians in the body. And the way to kind of explain EFT is if you think about uh, let's say a television screen and you know that it has electricity and you know that it has energy fields, but you don't really see it. You just have, you don't know how it works or why it works. You just understand you get a picture at the front. Well, if you pulled off the back and started messing around with a screwdriver in the back, essentially causing trauma to the energy, it would then create sort of a or like a blip in the radar, it would, you would then get like a humming noise or a distorted picture. Well, that's exactly what happens to the energy meridians of the body. So essentially what it's doing is removing the trauma and then putting the pieces back together so that energetically everything flows and then you get this nice, beautiful picture. So, and you do that by tapping on various areas of the body that are, again, energy points. So it sounds really woo-woo, but it's not that different than having an EKG or an EEG that would measure brain waves, energy of the heart. And uh, it's based off of this understanding that we can tap on those meridians to shift back the energy and heal the body in that way, both emotionally and physically. Now, NLP is a little bit different. That is called neuro-linguistic neuro programming. And that is 
is really a coaching modality. It's all done consciously, like with the conscious part of the mind versus hypnotherapy, which is done sort of at a slowing down of the brainwave state, uh, which is working with the subconscious faculty of the mind. But NLP is an, is an understanding of the words that we use and how they impact the beliefs that we carry. And so you're using neuro, part of the brain, part of the mind faculty, and then you're also using linguistics, how we speak about things um, in order to change our programming and our belief systems. So there's a lot of tactics in NLP, there's tons of them, but it's a way of changing our associations. Um, some of the things we do naturally anyway, like uh, an NLP concept is our sensory acuity. So are you more visual? Are you more auditory? Are you more kinesthetic? Or are you more auditory digital? Auditory digital is basically self-talk, like hearing verbatim words in your head. And we usually have sort of a, a medley of all of them. So that's, that is a way in which to shift your language, right? To say things like, I see what you did there. If you're working with somebody who is very uh, visual or, Ooh, that sounds amazing. If somebody's more auditory. So some of the stuff in NLP, I personally feel is, is kind of some common sense stuff that, that a lot of us know. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of the differences. It sounds to me like the power of language, which is something that we often teach. And, you know, we all, <laughs> we nerds think that it's common, but believe it or not, communication is such a challenge for some or for yes. many. And, you know, even, you know, in, in my coaching and in my marriage, it's been really hard because I assume that people think like me. I assume mm -hmm. that when I say something, they deconstruct it like I always do, because when you talk to me, I'm going to deconstruct. I'm going to automatically right. see the little mind mapping bubbles go yep. down from the concept. And I've recently learned that that is actually not normal, not normal, but, you know, common um, right. that there are certain people who do certain things or think certain ways. In addition to empathy, you know, empaths, we feel what we think, we feel what we hear, and we feel other people's feelings. But right. the way that you just explained NLP was the most clear definition of what I've got, which is why it's extremely important to listen to the language of people. You can have a hundred people do the same thing and it's conveyed differently. The methodology is, is presented differently. And I think that that is what we need to really be aware of. Yes, yes. Well, and something that I learned and became very apparent to me in my hypnosis training in particular was how deeply we can all feel but that we express it differently. Mm -hmm. So you and I are far more gregarious, right? It's, mm -hmm. if, if I'm excited, it's very clear. It's like, I'm excited. Yeah. If I'm sad, it's very obvious. It's, it's, it's demonstrative. You can see exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. Now that does not mean that that emotion for that person is more potent. Yeah. It simply means they're more demonstrative. However, if you're engaged with somebody who, let's say you're in a partnership or a business alliance or something like that, and they say like, oh yeah, I'm really excited about 
about the new, the new procedure that we're going to do. They might legitimately be feeling something very, very strongly and potently, but they don't express it the same way. So then we perceive what they're doing. And then we interpret it to go, Oh, well, excited doesn't feel or look like that to me. Mm -hmm. They must be lying. So we start interpreting people's body language, the cadence of their voice. And then it gets a little bit more complicated when we layer in being an empath or also an HSP, a highly sensitive person who's not only emotionally sensitive, but also sensitive to sound or sight or touch or yeah. all of the ways in which we engage with our humanity. Mm -hmm. So it, that's one thing that I have learned in, in communication with others is to recognize just because their sadness or excitement or grief or overwhelm doesn't look the same way as mine doesn't mean that it's not equally as trying or difficult. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I will joke about it because his overwhelm like, I, I'm like, you don't look like anything's wrong <laughs> at all. And if, if there's overwhelm over here, it's like sirens and there's, it's a dramatic and steam it's, coming off the top of your head and out your ears and your nostrils at the same time. There is no mistaking when I'm, and I will also quite literally say verbatim, I'm overwhelmed. Right. And he'll say something more like I've got a lot going on. It sounds like my husband, I'm laughing because this is my house. I'm cracking yeah. up because it's so funny how that balance is there. And it's, but it's annoying because to me, I'm like, I kind of need the same level of communication sometimes because it's like, okay, wait, I can't see it. I can't right. feel it. I can't hear it because it's literally like that, the steam pot where it's just, you just can barely see the steam coming out the top and it's there and then you're just waiting for it to tip off, you know, and it's so funny that, you know, communication is so complex and yes. we really diminish the effects of effective communication. And as entrepreneurs, it's kind of punches us in the face because everything that we do is about verbal, nonverbal, and even, you know, graphics, colorism, you know, right. everything, the psychology of all of it. Yes. And not to mention, um, I want to go to, you know, some of your specialties of yes. confidence, breaking it down with, you know, boundaries, healthy yes. boundaries, self-advocacy. I want you to talk about how you got into specializing in these areas because they are completely tied to communication. They're completely tied to womenhood. I mean, we yep. live and breathe emotionally. We, we convey our work is mission oriented and heart centered. And so, you know, what you do is so important, but I want you to explain like your path to what you sure. do now and then break it down. Sure. So a little bit of context. I grew up in an extremely rigid, dogmatic, uh, born again, evangelical family. Um, and my father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So he was not playing around. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot, there was a lot going on and I'm the oldest of, of three. I have two younger brothers and by all accounts, I was the good kid. I started working when I was 14. I put myself through college. I got married young and moved out and wasn't, you know, a burden or anything like that. And, you know, honor student, all that stuff. And then my two younger brothers 
ended up having some a really difficult time and tumultuous upbringing, trouble with the law, jail time, a bunch of a bunch of nonsense. So, and and that will come back, kind of come back into play. So, uh, you know, in the earlier years of my marriage, whenever we would go visit my family, I would tell my husband like, okay, no liberal agenda, no cussing, no drinking, no talking about Jon Stewart, no talking about South Park, no talking about like any of the stuff that I knew would be highly offensive to, you know, now it would be, you know, Trevor Noah or whatever. And, um, and so I said, just, and so I was attuned to this facade and this veneer and showing, you know, I did not overtly say, yes, I agree with you, or I believe in that, but I wasn't coming out of the agnostic atheist closet. That's, that's for damn sure. So it kind of all kind of came to this crescendo in 07 when my father passed away and, and the day of his viewing of his service. I had decided that because at the time I was working as a makeup artist and that was my kind of previous career prior to doing what I do now. And I felt like it would be a real dick move to be like, oh, dad, get your own makeup artist when I clearly had the skill set, right? I just felt like it would be like, oh, oh, are you busy, honey? You can't do my makeup? <laughs> okay. So I knew for sure that I was going to do his makeup for his viewing. Yes, that's dead dad makeup, everybody. And that I was going to speak to, you're laughing at me. I love it. Um, that I was going to speak to the crowd of hundreds of people. He had a, really amassed a huge grouping of people that he had influenced. So I feel like I'm winning at daughter, like seriously winning at daughter. And so we get back home to my mom's house and she says, she finds it the most opportune time to say, it feels as though your father and I have failed as parents because the three of you, like grouping me with my siblings, the three of you are not quote, walking with the Lord. So it was like negating all of who I was, all of my character, all of it was just lumped into this, this very dogmatic, very small pigeonhole. And the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was to say to her, mm, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. <laughs> you know, here I am. Oh, this is a teaching moment. And that truly became a shifting point for me. I had already started going to coaching school. I was looking to transition out of makeup artistry and do something a little bit. And that was such a pivotal place where I realized, okay, speaking up for yourself or having a voice around certain matters is not always an ultimatum. It's not always a choice between I either make you happy or I make me happy. But if it does come to that and I have to make that decision, I'm going to choose to make me happy. And that became a complete shift. And I'll tell you, it got messy after that because it was like a floodgate had opened and I became incredibly adversarial and combative and I wanted to talk about all the things that we believed in opposition to one another. And there were many times when I was so vitriolic and would have these conversations with my mom where I felt really concretely about what I was saying, about the content, but how I said it was not giving me, doing me any favors and was not enabling me to be heard. And 
it's just a real mean way to communicate. So that's when I started realizing, oh, there are ways to advocate for yourself. There are ways to speak up for yourself without being a dick, without being mean. And that really informed the communication piece of the work that I do around you know, even if your in-laws are trying to feed your kid foods you don't want them to eat or, you know, all of these different things, or like we were talking about earlier, clients who want to call you at all, all hours of the night based off of your time zone or things that are, are not working for you, but we don't say anything about it. So that truly is kind of the, the impetus behind the work that I do. I mean, I think we all have our breakthroughs from our breakdowns. <laughs> I love that term because when I started your voice, your power, you know, entrepreneurs think they're coming on to promote their business. And I'm really trying to get to the breaking point because that's what people resonate with is like, what was your breaking point? And I think that you found that quite early compared to most, you know, women, we struggle so much with how to communicate, um, our wants and needs. I mean, we are literally groomed and conditioned from childhood you know, and how Lord knows I didn't took lifespan development long enough to know that, you know, you have all of these people who believe that your childhood has nothing to do with your adulthood and it has everything to do with it. And it walks and talks with you every single day. And the more you don't deal with it and it's gonna literally haunt you, it will paralyze you and it will tarnish any and everything that you put forth. And I was laughing because you were talking about being a preacher's kid. And, you know, we have all these stigmas around preacher's kids because that is, that is a pressure that is added to your lifestyle because there's these expectations of who you should be with walking with the Lord. And, you know, even cursing, you know, people feel like, oh, if you curse then you're not a Christian. And I'm like, well, I must be going to hell because, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was working in the prison, I can't look at this big grown man and say, Hey, can you please go over there and sit down? You know, right. I learned very quickly that you have to dominate in order to survive, mm-hmm, you know? Sure. And so these perceptions that we have that are all geared around communication, mm-hmm. I think that every woman should take a self-advocacy course at some point in their life and the earlier the better because even my daughter I'm seeing now she doesn't even want to email her professors or teachers you know to say hey can I meet with you Mm -hmm. and I look at her and I'm like oh this is a thing like I thought it was just me but as I look at these girls you know they they can go on Instagram and, and and they can post pictures and all that But if it comes to disagreeing with something that somebody says or being uncomfortable, we often will go with discomfort rather than asserting our thoughts and wants and needs. And that is something that is a fundamental of anything and everything that we do. That's right. Well, I think there's something too that I don't want to overstep And you and I were talking about differences between race and things like that and how that informs how you engage with the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's really important, especially for me as an incredibly white woman, to be talking about this stuff 
is to recognize that I'm speaking to this from only my lens of experience, which is, you know, a cisgendered, pansexual, white woman with disabilities that can't be seen, right? Mm -hmm. So that's at a very elevated level of privilege. So I think it's really important to understand that whatever you're dealing with, whether it's a, a disability that is very apparent to the outside world or illness, or you're a part of another marginalized identity, whether it's being a part of the queer community or uh, various ethnic backgrounds, that all systems of oppression, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's ableism or racism, function by the oppressed group, mm -hmm. believing that they are not enough. Yep. So when you tell me about your daughter, I'm going, yeah, we've got these built-in narratives that as a woman, I'm not enough there. I'm not as good as a man. Right. Yep. And then obviously I can't speak to other marginalized groups, but I, from anecdotally, what I hear is that there's elevated levels of this not enoughness compounding mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I teach my students and I think about all the time is when you are afraid to speak up, would an old white man have a problem speaking up about it? Nope. How would a man handle responding to that email? How would a man handle if he needed help from a professor, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and I don't think that we need to put ourselves in unsafe situations. I'm, I'm definitely not advocating for that. But I do think if we start looking at our worth and our value mm. as top of the line, yep. that is the fiercest act of resistance. Yes, it is. Yes, it, that and, is the work right there. And walking and talking from an educated perspective, you know, you have a lot of people who who downplay education and education does not have to be organized. It literally just means digging deeper into what you believe in. You know, as entrepreneurs, I think that one of the freedoms we have is that we can be an expert in anything. Literally, I have interviewed some of the weirdest kind of coaches you would ever think. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing. They made it a thing. Guess what? You can do that. And so when you talk about our value and our worth, I know for me, I tell everybody, my mother had me tested in fourth grade because she thought back then the word was retarded. Mm -hmm. And what they told her was that her IQ is extremely high. Mm. She thinks in big pictures and conceptually. And, you know, in the 80s, they didn't have all of this That's IQ, right. emotional intelligence and all that stuff. And so I've been a unicorn for as long as I can remember. I was the black girl in IB. You know, I was too black to be you know, and I being too white to be with the black kids, you know, and I live my life trying to fit in and also as a military brat. So I was the only black kid in my whole elementary school, you know, and so I look now at these kids and they're, they're facing the same kind of issues, of course, to a different level, because now it's all on social media. But you say something that is so true is that the world was built around white men. Education yes. was built around white men, but we're not where we used to be. We have to stop limiting ourselves because yes. by the click of this little doohickey here, mm -hmm. you can get a certification in any and everything. Mm -hmm. And the certification isn't for the world to say, okay, well, you got an ICF versus a LinkedIn versus a Udemy versus a whatever. It's the fact that you want to dig deeper to really understand why you feel the way that you feel so that you can then perform better. And That's be right. confident in what you're putting out. 
Right. Right. I think it's a yes. And it's a, ultimately everything is on us, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's radical personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think we can acknowledge uh, a system that is designed that it out without equity, Yep, a system that is designed for only certain people to achieve. And what's important is to do both within reason of caretaking for yourself, because mm-hmm. what we don't need is more marginalized people killing themselves, trying to get everybody else to see a different way. And that's why you and I were talking before we started recording that we need allies of all different kinds because Mm -hmm. so many, so many people, it's exhausting to try Mm -hmm. to do that educational work. So I digress, but I I really think that it's, it's negligent for me to come onto a show as a white woman and not acknowledge that my lived experience of tapping in it's going to be very different than somebody else's Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think that you know we I think that level of awareness is what we all need because I think we often feel like our opinion does not matter our contributions are not wanted or warranted and they absolutely are and um I want you to tell everyone how to find you because And tell them like what you have on your goodness, because I listen to the podcast. So I know you got a podcast. I know you got downloads, which I think I have one of the downloads. So I want you to tell everybody about all your goodness. Sure. So my little corner of the internet is uh, thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And there that's sort of the hub of all of the things that you can find you'll see I have a a free workbook that you can download I have if you go to the tab that says free sources there's a bunch of stuff that you can access there including a podcast I've been doing for about eight years and there's a hypnosis track there that you can download so lots of fun stuff as far as social I hang out the most on Instagram probably and sadly a little bit on TikTok but I don't uh, I'm a voyeur on TikTok, so I, I, I just watch it. I don't, I don't post anything. Um, my so, daughter got me once on there and there's a very bad video of me falling while I was trying to do the dance that she made me do. Oh yes. It's hilarious. And I've only done one. So, well, it was like 21 takes to that one. Oh my gosh. I know. It seems like so much effort. It is. I, I am too tired and too old. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm not interested. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where you can come hang out. I, I would suggest getting, getting all your freebies and uh, come say hi. As we were talking about earlier, I too am quite a sailor. So just be aware that I don't watch my language in any way. <laughs> I see it as an expression of freedom, you know, yep. but you know, I, I, I have, I'm coming to terms with that because, you know, as you know, we are, as entrepreneurs, when I signed up to do this, I did not really sign up to be in front of the world. Um, and then it just kind of happened. So I really right. want to ask you something because, you know, I've been doing my podcast going on four years mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like that long, but I'm nothing compared. I might have like 150 something episodes, but I think you have, I think I listen to like 350 or 390, mm-hmm. eight years. 
eight years, eight years. We just recently changed the format. So it was myself with my husband as my sidekick for a good majority. It was eight years this past March. So a little over. And so now I've switched where I'm starting to have some guest experts and uh, just a, a little bit of a different series where we take one concept and dig into it over about three to four different episodes. So that's really new over just the past couple of months, but it's been really fun to not have to be solely responsible for all the content. Mm -hmm. So, and so what led you to start a podcast? Well, it was sort of the thing to do back then. It was like the early adopters, you know, it was, oh, there's this thing. And some people were having radio shows and it was like an online radio show, but that was essentially a podcast. And there was two other colleagues of mine who had been toying around with the idea. And so we all kind of launched our pods at the same exact time. And it, part of it is also that I loved the medium of speaking versus blogging. And yeah. so when I first got involved in personal development, it was all about build your business through a blog. And mm-hmm. oh, I find that so cumbersome. Mm. Just let me talk for a while. I just want to talk. So I concur. Start it. Yeah. I'm cracking up because I've written a million blogs and I just, I'm not feeling it. Like, I don't want to put it out there because I'd rather talk, you know? And so I, I get it. I absolutely get it. You got something to say. So you have a place to say it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And prior to that, I did a lot of video blogging, but podcasting has just been such a a better medium for me. And I just, I genuinely love it. I really enjoy it. So you definitely gave me something to think about this morning. I was listening to you and I don't, I've only recorded one by myself. Every other episode has been interviews and I have been in a growth spurt lately. And, you know, when I first started my podcast, I didn't feel like I was enough. Hmm. So I started it with interviews and I got into a groove And then I started doing virtual summits by bringing people who were experts in the things that I love because I couldn't, I couldn't narrow. Everybody's like narrow. And I'm like, as a psychologist and mental health expert, like, what do you narrow to? And then personal development is this huge umbrella and you really need to determine like three kind of components or so. And I just couldn't. And so in all of my projects, I create projects because they have to be collaborative to really hit on all the pieces of the puzzle, but it was my way also of hiding behind Mm -hmm. my insecurities because I will support and promote somebody else, but you know, I wasn't enough. And so as I step into my enoughness, I was listening to you and I was like, I have written a gazillion courses, blogs and stuff that's not out there yet. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to just start doing my own podcast. Mm -hmm. But being a creative mind, my biggest struggle is staying focused Hmm. because even in a conversation with myself, I will go down some rabbit holes. Yes. So that is the hardest part, but I think we have to give ourselves permission and leeway because, you know, as we did this, no script at all, I feel like the universe needs to hear whatever it is on our hearts that we have to give. And so- I have to say that out loud to the audience as I'm saying it to myself is that we have to just go with it, stop thinking and stop talking ourselves out of our greatness. 
That's right. And I think what we do most of the time with confidence is we assume once I'm confident, then I'll put myself out there. Then I'll do a solo episode. But what we don't realize is that confidence is built by being in a state of fear and choosing courage over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. If you look at some of the greatest minds of our time, uh, Maya Angelou, Meryl Streep, um, Michelle Obama, they've all talked about dealing with imposter complex. And that's essentially saying, I don't belong. I'm not enough, right? Mm -hmm. But why are they where they are? Because they were afraid and chose courage over and over and over again. That's what builds confidence. So I like to call it being fear optimized instead of fearless, because that's not, it's it's not a thing. So, but to optimize, because we're always going to have fear and we just need to work with it, Mm -hmm. right? We need to make it as useful and as effective as possible. So what does that look like? That looks like choosing courage Mm -hmm. every single time. So it's when you hear that incessant chatter about, well, what if this, and what if that, or, oh, people are going to think this, or people, it's still choosing to put it out there. Mm -hmm. It's still choosing to take the next step. Otherwise you let fear win. And, And you're too smart for that, right? You're too smart for that. You you're absolutely right. And I want to ask you a question that goes with that. is my husband tells me all the time that he doesn't understand why I'm nervous and why I shake and why I sweat before every meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was having a, I was a wreck before, before this recording. Um, So I want to ask you so that the audience can hear, do you still get anxious and nervous before you do anything? Of course, of course. So let's talk just about the, the biology for a second. So anxiety that, that feeling of nervousness, that anxiousness is a modern iteration of one of our primitive fear responses. It is an iteration of the fight response. Mm. So if, if we have, so essentially if we have our four, our four major fear responses, right? These are primitive. These are how we are designed to caretake for ourselves as human fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And fawn is a a little bit newer to the scene, but it's essentially when you're trying to placate or let's say, you know, a mountain lion is coming at you, you would be trying to be like, here, kitty, 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 kitty. That's fawning, right? Trying to befriend the aggressor. So what's the modern iteration of that? People pleasing, right? So these all have these modern iterations. Anxiety is when we cannot fight. It's when, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a stress response and what's happening on a brain level is your, your brain is going, oh my God, we're, we're having a threat. There is some sort of, um, risk that's happening here. I might be attacked. Uh, I might not be safe send in the fear response. And now we know that the modern iteration of that again is anxiousness. We don't really have to go to blows. We don't really have to like throw our computer. It's not that extreme of a fear response, but that's why we get anxiousness. So one of the things that I do all the time is I talk to that fear response because again, what it's doing is trying to keep you safe. It thinks, 
oh my gosh, there's this other person who might judge me. They might think ill of me. They might think that I'm not well-spoken. That means threat, send in the stress response. So if I can go, oh, hey, honey, it's Anika. She's got our back. It's not a tough, it's not going to be a tough conversation, but man, I am so grateful to you. You think that we're about to be attacked by a mountain lion and you can't tell the difference. And that's so sweet and so primitive of you. And I really appreciate it. You sweet little lizard brain, but we've got this. We're actually not in impending doom or death. And so I just start talking to that because it sends in the physical pieces of racing heart, uh, the sweaty palms, you know, shortness of breath. It's preparing. It's preparing to do battle. So if we can understand that it, it can't tell the difference between somebody judging you or somebody about to cause you physical harm, then we can go, oh, okay. That's the conscious part of my mind now needs to come in and talk to the subconscious and say, hey, hey, babe, we got this. You're, you're right. We've never done this before. We've never talked to this person before. We've never asked for this raise. We've never set up this boundary, fill in the blank. And that's exactly why when we are facing something like speaking up, then we've never done that before or believing in ourselves or telling ourselves that we're enough our mind goes, we don't know that. We've never been there. Oh my gosh, that must be a threat. Send in all of the chatter. So recognizing that, oh, okay, okay. It's just my body thinking this is unsafe for some reason. And then consciously being able to rectify that a little bit. I was cracking up because I was envisioning this, this lion and then the lizard. I like, I'm so visual, <laughs> but yes. it's, it's so true. I, I asked you that question because I think that, you know, I want women especially to understand that when you have some level of fear or anxiety, that also means you care and That's that right. there is passion behind it because so many people, you know, thrill seekers, you know, people who love creativity, tattoos, all kind of stuff. You know, we have levels of fear that we don't let stop us because we're like, you know, but we know the reward of, you know, the fear. Um, but I, I, I wanted to ask you that question because at your level of success, I want people to see that all anxiety and all stress is not bad, that right. it's not an easy road, but it's definitely worth it. That's right. Well, you have to think too, what's happening, your brain is trying to make sense of, yeah, is this a viable threat or not? And what's challenging about fear and anxiety is that it will kick in when we actually are in danger mm -hmm. and when we're not, yep. when we're actually just needing to push and play a bigger game. So I think that's why it's really important to examine a situation like, oh, if I'm nervous about this interview, is there really an impending threat or is that my fear response just saying, hey, this is something new. We don't know this. Are you sure? And every situation's different because there are situations where depending on, you know, who you are or how you identi identify that going into certain situations, you aren't welcome you know, mm -hmm. and it might be mm -hmm. a threat to your yep. safety. So it's not that we always push through fear. Mm -hmm. It's that we examine the fear and go, is this a viable threat? Is this my fear response saying abort mission? Or is it saying, 
okay, this is new. And you're just scared because it's new mm -hmm. and we don't know that. And so you have to kind of unpack it at each, each intersection. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I, I think that that's something that comes with level, you know, levels of awareness, you know, as we learn. And I think as employees, we have that security net, you know, we, mm -hmm. we, we have a place that's going to take the brunt of the risk, right. but as entrepreneurs, we take all the risk. And so I think that's what, what sets us apart, but I think that's why we also need to give ourselves more credit. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. So everybody out there start right now with like a hundred reasons I'm awesome list and just write just, and it can be a working list if you can only come up with one right now, but keep it around you because what we need more than ever is people believing in their own value and their own worth. And we need to acknowledge it, right? Acknowledge yes. yourself for those things. Start your I'm awesome list. You just made me think about a confident world. Like what would that look like if people didn't have that insecurity to, you know, fight things that aren't even threats and, you know, live in love. That's right. I, I have always felt that the world would radically change if we taught emotional intelligence to children. That is my, beginning. that's my jam. Yes. I'm, I'm an emotional intelligence geek. I love it. I think it is, it, it makes life make sense. And, um, I think that people really minimize the effects of, of, self-awareness, awareness of others. People act like it's not their business. It's not their responsibility, mm -hmm. but it's everybody's business and everybody's responsibility. We, every single decision that we make, every single one of them is rooted in how we feel mm -hmm. and what, what we think something will make us feel. Mm -hmm. And yet at the very beginning, we try to breed intuition and emotions out of people. I mean, yes. you think about anytime you see somebody who's being interviewed on television and they start tearing up the immediate thing that they say every time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep. And then what does the other person do? They, they go, Oh, don't cry. Don't cry. Give them a tissue. Yes. Basically cry, yes, saying, cry. I can't be with your emotion. I can't be with that. Yet it's the driver behind every single thing we do. I think it's the reason why we have so much violence mm -hmm. because anger is a secondary emotion. Yep. You know, there's a primary emotion underneath there. Mm -hmm. Rage, upset, depression, mm -hmm. sadness, shame is a yep. huge one. Guilt, resentment. And so there's all these things that we're not taught how to feel. And so then we become violent or we become addicted to things, or we search for ways to not feel and, mm -hmm. you know, we want to fix, not feel. So anyway, I could go on and on about that. I'm but. loving it. I just posted today, mental health awareness. And I said, feeling is normal. And you have these people I'm married to a Marine for God's sakes, mm -hmm. you know, these people that are trained not to feel, and it's a disservice, you know, because then you have to retrain the brain and say, okay, I can feel, or you have to compartmentalize your feelings and say, I can feel here and I can't feel there. And I can feel here and I can't feel there. And those are the things that drive me nuts and make me work harder. Um, so I do wanna ask, do you have any last words for our audience? Any words of wisdom you wanna share? I think, I think what I would leave you with is to recognize that wherever you are in your journey, 
to be really compassionate with yourself. So whatever behaviors that you've adopted up until this point, whether it's being an overachiever to a fault or a perfectionist or a people pleaser or trying to have a tight grip on control, all of those things that we employ, we're doing that to stay safe in some way. So we're not, we don't start talking craziness to ourselves and be so mean to ourselves just for the heck of it. It's actually a part of how our brain is wired. So if you can recognize, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. There's just maybe something wrong with this belief and I can shift a belief and be so gentle with yourself because it can be so easy to listen to conversations like this and say, I can't even look at myself in the mirror or I can't even get myself to post about my business on Instagram. Oh my gosh. And just get so deflated, but recognize, okay, here's where I'm at. What's the next right step that I can take and be incredibly compassionate with yourself and source, source the mentors, source the support that you need, because all of that healing, you deserve it. My friend. There you go. I want to thank you all for tuning in to another edition of Your Voice, Your Power with Anika and the amazing Amy Smith, the joy junkie. As always, stay powerful. <laughs>